Cinephile. Nicholas Cage. Very sincere group of film enthusiasts who are proudly cinephiles. Oh my goodness, Warren Beatty apparently read the wrong name. This is incredible. Moonlight won Best Picture. Cinephile. Ethan Hawke. It's kind of like I'm a professional actor and I direct for love. There's so much in this world that's dividing us, and music is one of those great tools that brings us together. All right. There's baseball and World War II. It's kind of <laughs> a dream. Cinephile, the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast. All right, yes. Why wasn't I still recording? That would have been gold. Could have run that as the, the open. open. A restoration comedy filtered through this director's eccentric modern sensibilities is what the favorite most resembles. Witty, profane, sexually explicit, improper in the extreme, a comedy of manners without any manners at all. That's from Bob Mundell of NPR. One of the films I'll be reviewing is The Favorite, which is in many ways an Oscar favorite this Oscar season. We'll be talking about that film along with If Beale Street Could Talk, Barry Jenkins' new movie, A Private War starring Rosamund Pike and Beautiful Boy with Steve Carell and Timothee Chalamet. Thank you so much for checking out Cinephile. As always, on the ESPN app and on iTunes, tell all your friends. We're on Twitter, Cinephile ESPN, C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E. You can hit us up uh, personally, A-D-N-A-N, ESPN is my handle. And also we are on Instagram as well. Instagram, what's all about now? I'm putting stories out there. We're all over the place. So check us out on Instagram as well. Cinephile, E-S-P-N, C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E, E-S-P-N. And of course, please give us some love on iTunes. You can post a review as well. I always rank my movies at a form of police. Please rank the uh, pod out of five stars and leave a comment for us. Last time we had a scathing review of Rick Passmore. Uh, he's still wounded and nursing his wounds. But in fact, it just water off a duck's back. Passmore's fine. What did your friends say, actually, when you told them about this? It's accurate. They they all they all agreed with uh, hot lunch guy or whatever his name was. Yeah, hot lunch guy actually was the person who handled this. Uh, lots of awards talk. Let's do that first. So the the award season kicks off. You know, Dan is a very politically minded guy. It's like the Iowa caucus here this week because we've got the National Society of Film Critics, uh, excuse me, National Board of Review doing their top ten films of the year, and then we also had the Independent Spirit Awards. Of course, those are for independent movies. The major news there: my guy Ethan Hawke wins Best Actor for First Reformed. I just did a Google Hangout on Gold Derby. Please check out that. Rick will retweet it, and I'll retweet it at some point with Tom O'Neill, who runs GoldDerby.com. If you go to GoldDerby.com, go to Experts Picks, you'll see all of my selections. Humble brag, I had the number one accurate selections last year in terms of Oscar winners. So Tom had me back along with Chris Beach and my buddy, big Mississippi State guy, loves to talk college football. So they had me on, and we're talking about the awards races, and I said, it's really a shame a lot of this is unpredictable. I don't know what's going to win Best Picture. It's going to be one of Green Book. could be the favorite. could be um, Vice. Um, could be First Man. It could be a, a variety of movies. It could be um, A Star is Born. I go, there's about five or six movies that could be Best Picture. Once we find out the Globes, what they're going to release, once we see what the awards categories recognize, we'll have a good idea. I said, but Best Actor, I feel like pretty strongly now, it's going to be Bradley Cooper. It's going to take a lot to unseat him. Maybe Christian Bale for Vice. Um and maybe, you know, Ethan Hawke for First Reformed. And Chris said to me, he goes, well, here's the best chance for your boy, Ethan Hawke. If he, he just won the Independent Spirit Award. He's got to win all these critics awards. If he wins New York Film Critics, LA Film Critics, National Society of Film Critics, and then Golden Globes, it'll be comedy musical for Bradley Cooper. Drama will be Hawke if he can win that. Then all of a sudden you start to create this narrative of Ethan Hawke's been nominated four times. He's a great actor. He's very articulate. Uh, he's obviously been nominated twice for writing, twice for acting. The Academy loves him. He's great at schmoozing. So then all of a sudden it becomes, well, yeah, Bradley Cooper's due because, yeah, he was the guy from The Hangover. Then he did American Sniper and uh, Silver Lines Playbook. But then it could make things interesting. So I'm really hoping and cheering for First Reformed. Of course, every year there's at least one film you feel passionate about. And the National Board of Review just released their top ten movies of the year. So their best picture, they gave it to Green Book. But all of the categories was was Stars Born. Best Director is Bradley Cooper. Best Actress is Lady Gaga. Best Supporting Actor is Sam Elliott. But best original screenplay, Paul Schrader for First Reform, which I was thrilled about. Schrader hasn't been nominated for an Oscar since Raging Bull. He's only been nominated twice, Taxi Driver, and he co-wrote Raging Bull. He's 72 years old. If Schrader gets nominated for original screenplay, it'd be amazing. And I have this Hollywood Reporter. They got the favorite on the cover, which I'll read a couple of excerpts about. But they had a great writer's roundtable. You know, original screenplay is always a great category because you always have a lot of really talented people involved. And this year, they had a... a Roundtail of Bo Burnham from 8th grade. By the way, he was cited as well. Peter Fairley, Green Book. Steve Levy's going to join us, tell some Peter Fairley stories. Tamara Jenkins for Private Life, the film I love with Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. 
John Krasinski, A Quiet Place, Passmore liked it as well. Eric Roth for Stars Born, and Paul Schrader for First Reformed. And they're talking about writing and different styles of writing, et cetera. And it's an interesting quote. They're talking about, you know, just moments they've had in Hollywood and ever been fired. And Schrader said, I've, I've never been fired so much as you hand in a first draft, you get no notes, you get paid for your rewrite, and the phone doesn't ring. He said, That's pretty much the way they do it. And the Fairley brothers, Peter Fairley said, he goes, me and Bobby only started directing because we had a movie made from our script that was so horrible, we left our names off it. We put our brother-in-law's names on it. I remember my agent saying, are you crazy? You have zero credits. Get a writing credit. And I said, I'd rather die with no credits than have that as the only one. The next movie that we were on was Dumb and Dumber. And they said, who's directing? And they said, we are, just to protect the movie. And all of a sudden, they became these huge, you know, iconic uh, comedic auteurs. Later, they said that Fox had an issue about a guy pleasuring himself, and there's something about Mary. And Peter Fairley tells a story. He said, it would have been NC-17, but we said, no, it's for titillation, it's NC-17. If it's for humor, it's an R. We had to fight. We were in a meeting. We're like, we're not cutting it. Give it a chance. And finally, I looked at then Fox chief Bill Mechanic and said, Bill, how many movies are you guys making this year? And he said, 22. And I said, how about you make 21 and let us make this one? And he said, the whole room started laughing. All right, fine. That's you're going to do fine. But he goes, that's the kind of battles you have to fight. People, you know, argue over these little minute details. And they mentioned films that influenced them. Bo Burnham is a young guy who made his fame from YouTube and being a comedian. He mentioned a woman of the influence, a great John Cassavetes film. Roth mentioned Giant. Krasinski now will always be my guy. What film influenced him? The Verdict. For me, is the seminal movie. I grew up very Catholic. There was this idea of redemption that felt more spiritual than actual religious teaching. And Tamara Jenkins, who wrote Private Life, says Dog Day Afternoon is brilliant. It's about dropping characters into action without any backstory and then figuring out why they're there when you find out they're robbing the bank. And lastly, just a quote from Schrader about Taxi Driver, which you all know I love so much. The question is, on Taxi Driver, you originally wanted the victims to be African-Americans. Wasn't there a danger of sending a racist message? Schrader said, I was making a point about what it is to be racist. He only killed black people. Because when you're low on the totem pole, you're looking for people who are lower. And that's why these kinds of kids are racist. And Columbia executive Dan Melnick said, there will be riots. There will be violence in the theater if we do this. And Marty and I, as soon as Melnick said that, we knew he was right. And so we took the main pimp character, made him white, and made him Harvey Keitel. In a novel, that original idea would have been irresponsible, but in a crowded theater, it was irresponsible. So there's no hard and fast rules. Interesting thought. Speaking of hard and fast rules, you don't find any of those in The Favorite, the new film from Yorgos Lanthimos. I saw the screening in New York, and this is a film getting a lot of buzz right now. Listen, you could get Best Actress, Olivia Coleman. You could get Best Supporting Actress, Emma Stone. Best Supporting Actress, Rachel Weisz. Best Director, Yorgos Lanthimos, the Greek filmmaker who did The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer. And it's going to get nominated for Best Picture. It might actually win. The story is this, if you're like, because I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, listen, I, I listen, period pieces are not my thing. And then as Passport said, no, no, you might like this. It's bizarre. Here is the excerpt from uh, Tatiana Siegel. She did an interview with all three of the main actresses. Perfectly timed for the mixed up zeitgeist of the Me Too era with women making historic gains in the midterms as the U.S. president regularly flings sexist insults like horseface. This female fronted absurdist piece is about a power struggle in 18th century England already being buzzed about as an awards race favorite. Coleman, who has experienced playing British royals, she's now filming the role of Elizabeth II on The Crown, stars as Queen Anne, arguably the most powerful woman on earth in the early 1700s. Rachel Wise plays her number one advisor, Sarah Jennings Churchill, Winston's great-great-grandmother, while Stone is Abigail Masham, Sarah's scheming cousin who arrives at the court and begins a sexually charged rivalry for the Queen's affections that turns the place into a snake pit. Rape jokes, female-on-female violence, orange-throwing, and overweight naked men. The film is packed with enough incendiaries that it could blow up gender politics for a generation or at least cause a stir during Oscar season. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I'd obviously not read this column before seeing the film, but that's an accurate description of it. It starts out as a conventional period piece, and you have get all the hallmarks, and it'll get nominated for all the major categories, costume design and music, and it looks picturesque. But Queen Anne, and by the way, Olivia Coleman, you often talk about actors putting on weight. She put on 35 pounds for the role of Queen Anne. You know, very heavy dresses, etc. And the actress talked about wearing those corsets. I mean, it just changes your whole demeanor and your whole appearance and such. But that's exactly what it is. It's it's a love triangle, and it is a love triangle. I was not expecting the female on female scenes, but Rachel Vise is courting the queen in some ways, and then Emma Stone comes in the picture, and she's battling for the queen's affections. And I think it has the template of a period piece. And if you like that sort of thing, if you like Merchant Ivory movies, if you like the queen on uh, Netflix, then I think you'll like the movie. But if you're someone who wants something absurd, you'll also appreciate this because he takes some chances. And if you've seen Yorgos Lanthimos' work, if you've seen The Lobster or The Killing of a Sacred Deer or Dogtooth, it shouldn't be surprised that he's not going to make a conventional period piece. He's going to make a really quirky, different film. 
I wasn't really sure about the ending. And so as I'm walking out with these other film critics, I turned to one of the guys and I go, say, what did you make of the ending? And he gave his idea and I go, hmm, it's not bad. And then somebody else just chimed in on the elevator and goes, I actually think it's this. And I go, hmm, interesting. That's not to say it's an ambiguous ending, but it's one that I think is a little bit open to interpretation. And again, it's one of those movies that I wish it had been a little bit longer because I enjoyed the movie so much. I'm going to give it three Maple Leafs. It's not really to my tastes. As I said, Prairie Peace is not something I'd watch again. But listen, this is coming from a guy who just rewatched all 86 episodes of The Sopranos. So if I'm telling you The Favorite is a good movie, if you're really into this movie, you're going to love this movie. And it's going to get a lot of Oscar play. So make sure you check out The Favorite. It'll be, uh, it's in limited release right now. It's expanding wide as we speak. Not yet open, but I also saw the special sneak preview of If Beale Street Could Talk. Been hitting up my boy uh, Barry Jenkins. Been sliding into his DMs. We're going to try to get him on the pod at some point. But uh, terrific movie. Very uh, rapturously shot. And there's one thing about Barry Jenkins. You know, he's only made a couple movies now. Moonlight and this. Moonlight won Best Picture, if you haven't heard. But he's got a gorgeous sense of design. I mean, his, his cinematography is so beautiful. The story is based on a James Baldwin novel. He actually said he wrote it years ago. He even wrote it before Moonlight. And he wasn't even sure if he had the permission of the James Baldwin estate. How about the chutzpah on this guy? He, he writes the script. and He wasn't even sure if he can get approval from the uh, you know passed away author. But instead, he was able to get um, approval for it. Moonlight ended up grossing $65 million worldwide. So he said, all right, the passion project I really want to make is this movie, If Beale Street Could Talk. James Baldwin wrote the novel in 1974, a $12 million movie, and it's filmed entirely in the streets of Harlem. It's about an African-American couple, 19-year-old Tish and 22-year-old Fonny, on the verge of marriage and a baby when Fonny is suddenly and falsely accused of rape. And it's obviously a heavy theme, but what I, I really appreciate about the film is how beautiful it makes love look. And especially in the first third of the movie, it really shows a couple falling in love. And it's a period piece, 1970s Harlem, and it's an African-American couple, but I think it's really relatable. And it's just the way he shoots it, even the music. And he talked about the music and said, originally he had a lot of horns and percussion, but he said he had to put the strings in. You know, the strings are really the music of love. And that's what ties together this love story. Uh, it does obviously turn dark, though, because, of course, the uh, main character is arrested under these false accusations. And uh, then the story goes in a different direction. And Regina King ends up stealing the movie. On Gold Derby right now, I've got her as the favorite to win Best Supporting Actress. She plays the mother of Tish. So Tish is the female, 19-year-old who is pregnant. And uh, she has a scene where she goes, originally it was going to be shot in Puerto Rico, but then after the hurricane, they had to move it to Dominican Republic. But she's got a scene where she confronts the... Um, the woman who says that she was raped. And it's one of the best scenes of any movie you'll see this year. And if anything, that'll be her her Oscar scene. Regina King is so good in the movie as she confronts her. You can feel a mother. You know, a mother's trying to say, listen, my daughter's pregnant. Her fiance's in prison or false accusations. Like, are you absolutely sure that he did it? Was it not just at night? It was dark. Maybe it's a racist cop. They're just saying, all right, here's a police lineup. Number four did it, right? Number four did it. Just say he did it. And the woman just doesn't want to go there. She doesn't want to have these images, and these memories again. But this mother's fighting for her, you know, her daughter's future because she needs to have... Uh, her fiance in her life. It's a really powerful scene, really well done by Barry. Um, but I think the movie will do well. It might be a little bit um, deliberately paced, but I think that goes along with Moonlight. I'm going to give it three and a half Maple Leafs. I'm so fond of his work, and I just thought it was so beautifully shot, uh, but maybe not to all audiences. But we're going to try to get Barry on at some point if Bill Street could talk, a movie that's obviously very important to him, and he and I have a very good lineage as well. Next movie is Beautiful Boy, a classic example of the book Better Than the Movie. Read the book years ago. Entertainment Weekly had it as like the best nonfiction book of the year. It's by Nick Sheff, who's a writer, and it really shows how guilty he feels that his son, who has all these advantages, I guess upper middle class education, and yet becomes a drug addict. And it goes from him feeling like, okay, I think I know my son pretty good. You know, his dad's talked to him one day, and his son's like, Timothy Chalamet plays his son, by the way. Like, hey, you ever smoke weed, dad? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, back in the day, 60s, sure, hippie, a very liberal writer. Okay, you smoke cigarettes, have a couple of drinks. Yeah, sure. You want to do a joint together? No, come on, buddy. I'm old. No, come on, come on, come on. And it shows that these innocent moments, and then the kid kind of feels like, well, then the boundaries get pushed a little bit. Like, all right, well, my dad smoked weed a little bit. Let's try something else. Try something else. And I think the movie's hurt by the fact that it's not going chronological order. You know, you see the kid in rehab, and then you see him when he's younger with his dad, and it jumps forward to when he's having a relapse, and then it goes to when he's high, and it goes back to when he's younger. And I think it really killed the narrative momentum of the movie. Like, one of the reasons train spotting is so great is it shows you the highs and the lows. One of the reasons why Drugstore Cowboy with Matt Dillon is so good is it shows you the highs and the lows. One of the reasons why leaving Las Vegas is so great, it shows you the highs and the lows. When these guys are high, when they're drunk, they're having fun, and they're fun to be around. And then there's the inevitable crash. 
So by shape-shifting a little bit, you're, you're robbing the audience of that momentum of investing in this character. You kind of already know, first of all, where the story's going, so you're robbing the story of suspense. And B, you're just not letting the audience care enough about the character because you're jumping back and forth. You're zigging rather than zagging. Um, having said that the performances are good, Carell continues his streak now of saying, I'm going to be uh, serious rules. I'm not just going to be uh, the guy from the 40-year-old virgin. And I think he's compassionate and plays a good, a good job of playing Nick Chef. Chalamet's great, though. He's going to be a contender for Best Supporting Actor. Obviously did not win previously, but was nominated. And I think he'll definitely get nominated for Supporting Actor. He really shows the urgency in this kid's eyes. You know, like when his dad's asking him. I can imagine these conversations would be just grueling for fathers and sons. It's like, well, you know, what happened? Like, why... Why are you doing drugs? Like, if you can just ask it. And it's like, listen, I just, you know, I smoke pot and then try to look cocaine and then it's heroin and now I'm on meth. And it's like, whoa, like, how how did this happen? And he's like, I just, you know, it makes me feel good. And that's it. And it's like, I think the movie does get credit for not necessarily being too psychological about it, meaning not giving Chalamet's character this backstory of being he was wounded or abused or troubled. It was just... I just started trying drugs because I liked it. I just felt good, and I had this emptiness and this sadness, and it replaced it. And once I started going, I couldn't stop. And once you try meth once, there's nothing better. And there's one scene where Carell's character goes and talks to a drug counselor, and the guy recognizes Nick because he's a pretty prolific writer in New York. And he goes, oh, are you doing a piece? He goes, no, I'm not doing a piece, Mom. And he could tell he's, it's so hard for him to say, but he's, you know, my son's a drug addict, and um, he's hooked on meth, and I just want to learn all, everything about it. And the counselor's like, all right. And he starts showing the brain and exactly how the chemicals work. And he goes, it's it's such a difficult drug to kick. And he's like, honestly, the the success rate of somebody being successful, of, of literally never doing this again, is like 20%. And he's like, what about just living? And he's like, you know, it could be 50-50. And it's like, oh, my God, for a dad to hear that, absolutely harrowing. So obviously, and the film makes a very clear point with the end credits, you know, for all those suffering and, and seeking help with addiction issues, you know, there's... It's never too late to try to seek help, and uh, the movie is a powerful reminder of that. But I'm only going to give it two and a half Maple Leafs. Maybe I'm hurting it because the book is clearly better than the movie, or the fact it just feels like at times like a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. You know, a little movie of the week here. I know it's harsh. Stands right. It's harsh. But for the performances alone, especially Chalamet, I recommend seeing it. And maybe I just been more invested because I read the book. Mixed reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's like a sixty-seven percent. Is the book in chronological order? That's a good question. I believe so. Yeah. So you're blaming the director? Yeah, I'm putting the, I'm putting this one on the director because the source material is excellent. The actors are really good. If I'm the director, I just would have I would have gone the way it's gone. Also, isn't Beale Street in Memphis? Yeah. So Baldwin, the opening uh, credits explain that Beale Street is where every black person feels that like they're from because that there's always this lineage from there, and we're all from the South, etc. But the title of the book is if Beale Street could talk, but Beale Street is representative of all streets. In the city. So the book is actually set in Harlem. The movie's set in Harlem. But yes, the title is If Beale Street Could Talk. Because you're thinking of Beale Street, Blues and Barbecue. Excellent work at a dance dancing. Uh, one more for you, and then we're going to get Steve Levy in here. A Private War stars Rosamund Pike. Uh, Dan and I actually loved her in Gone Girl, which we saw together. Is it Rosamund or Rosamund? I always thought it was Rosamund. And then Ben Lyons had the director of the movie, Matthew Heineman, on, and he kept saying Rosamund. So. Hat tip to Ben Lyons. We're going to go with Rosamund Pike, who was in Gone Girl. Me, Rudy Stanzik, loved it. Uh, and this is a real story. It's based on the story of Marie Colvin, who is a crusading war journalist um, who, as her, her ex-husband perfectly describes her, you're like a moth attracted to a flame. Wherever the danger is, that's where you want to go. And it's really uh, a visceral dis- depiction of what her life is, which is you're literally going into war zones and trying to tell stories about it and make people care. And as her editor says to her at one point, because you know, the whole story is about this. It's a journalist who wants to do this, who desires to do this, and yet suffers incredibly and has nightmares and is scarred by the images of babies being killed in Syria and, you know, unimaginable atrocities in Fallujah and in Afghanistan. And so, you know, any anybody who feels that they're compelled to do some work but at the same time despises that they do it and agonizes over it and is depressed about it and suffers terribly. And she's chain-smoking and she's drinking. And as you'll see from the trailer, she's wearing an eye patch. Very early in the movie, she loses her left eye. But as her editor says, you're the one that covers these stories so we don't have to. And she says one of the greatest challenges is that how do you make people care about this? You know, people are worried about their own lives and their own issues. How do you as a war journalist make people in America care about what's happening in Syria? And she said, that's my job. That's my job is to go there and to interview people and to find stories and human interest stories and tell them all about it. So her performance is excellent. I don't think she'll get nominated for Best Actress. It's too crowded a category, but she's excellent. 
The director, Matthew Heineman, who check out Ben Lyons, his Lion's Den podcast, which is on Podcast One. Matthew's a really smart guy. I particularly like the way he directed the first 30 minutes. Really good pacing. All the war scenes. He actually cut his teeth as a documentary filmmaker. I believe Cartel Land he did, which I think won the Oscar. So this is his first feature film. And as Ben points out, you know, Cartel Land felt like a feature and this feels like a documentary. And he said, yeah, I tried to meld those two aspects together. But I do think the story kind of doesn't really, again, it carries narrative momentum. I'm like, it, it drops you in there right away. Okay. It's crusading journalist. She's battling personal demons. She goes there, but then there's not enough beyond that. It's, it's almost kind of a, a thin plot. Um, so I think the performances don't carry it enough. And most importantly, my guy Stanley Tucci's in the movie. Tucci was on, uh, I've never watched Seth Myers before, but I was like, I'm scrolling through, I'm like, oh, Tucci's going to Seth Myers. Great. Tucci's great on Seth Myers. He's hyping up private war. He's talking to, him. he's married to Emily Blunt's sister. Oh, he's buddies with, obviously, Krasinski's his brother-in-law. He hangs out with Emily Blunt all the time. He's on the street. He's funny. He just started a second family. You know, his first wife passed away. So this is his second wife. So he's got kids who are like in college age. And now he's got young kids as well. I want to say like four and two, like very, really young kids. And he's like, oh yeah, it makes you feel young. And then you go down to pick them up, makes you feel old, et cetera, et cetera. So I can't wait to see this movie. I'm like, oh, Tucci. I love Tucci. By the way, when Seth Myers introduced him, it's none of the ways I would describe Stanley Tucci. Fingers crossed. If we ever get Stanley Tucci in here, I would say he's the guy from Big Night and Spotlight and the Imposters. And he, he's described as the guy from Devil Wears Prada and the Hunger Games. I mean, for the main audience, that's probably more accurate. If, if Tucci ever came in, I'm like, dude, I'm not going to ask you one question about Hunger Games. I couldn't care less about Devil Wears Prada. I want to talk Spotlight. I want to talk Big Night. I want to talk Imposters. I want to talk all these other movies. He'd be like, sure, whatever you want. Tucci's in the movie. It's a glorified cameo. I texted lines. And I go, hey, you were right about the movie. It's a good movie. Rosman Pike, awesome. And he goes, how great is Tucci? I'm like, are you kidding? It's a glorified cameo. He's in it like 10 minutes. He's her love interest after the, the ex uh, spurns her. And he honestly gets maybe 10 minutes of screen time. I was so upset. He's great when he's in the movie. We need a lot more Tucci. So, Matthew, if you got silly Tucci in the movie, you got to make Tucci the guy. I'm hoping he's stealing the movie. And I'm like, he's got like, he's got like maybe four scenes in the movie. We'd also ask Tucci about the lovely bones. Oh, hey, yeah, I love it. Sorry. He did mention that. He goes, he's known. He, that's exactly what he described. Me. He goes, Stanley Tucci's work, the Devil Wars Prada, the Lovely Bones, the Hunger Games trilogy. I'm like, All right. I'd ask him about the Lovely Bones and that's it. Hey, you're that salmon girl, right? By the way, Ty Burr, who we had on recently, I'll never forget, he criticized Tucci in that movie. He said, Stanley Tucci is a, a very good actor because this is an example of a very good actor giving a very bad performance. I never... Go he look was at, perfectly creepy. He thought he was overacting in the movie. Nah. If we ever get Tyber back again, I'm like, hey, I'll never forget you wrote this specific review. A very good actor giving a very bad performance. And the only time Tucci's been nominated was for The Lovely Bones. I'm sure he's thrilled with this performance. Like, are you kidding me? Academy actually noticed me. I'm this creepy killer. I'm like abusive, rapist, all this stuff. I killed... No. Tyber's like, no, no good. Anyways, that's a private war. Uh, I'll give it two and a half because uh, the story wasn't strong enough, not nearly up to it. So two and a half Maple Leafs there. So four movies in the books and come up now. By the way, Passport, do you want to offer a uh, wreck it route? Why are you guys laughing? Not enough Tucci. You thought that was great. Yeah, exactly. Half, half a star lost because not enough Tucci. Without question. Without question, right? Put that on the, you know what? If there's a movie poster, like Adnan Burke raves, Rosamund Pike's performance is brilliant, but not enough Tucci. Two and a half Maple Leafs. <laughs> not Stanley, just Tucci. He's the Tooch. Do you have a Wreck-It Ralph review for us, Ricky? Uh, I can give you one, yeah. It was, uh, I'll just preface this so I don't want to be too much of a hot airbag this week. We'll give you 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, I'm giving it three and a half. Uh, it's phenomenal. It does oh. a great job of carrying over what the first Wreck-It Ralph did, what, six years ago, I think it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much for my generation. It's very much for late-term millennials. Early. I heard a lot of millennial jokes. Yeah. yeah, a lot of internet jokes, a lot of really underlying, a lot of subtle humor with that. But it's going to it's gonna sit well with kids because it's just loud and bombastic and fun and jovial, and it doesn't really have a traditional antagonist in the movie. It's very much a character piece on Ralph and uh, Vanellope and their relationship now that uh, Vanellope's uh, game has been broken and so they're trying to go to the internet to find a piece to fix it because the guy that runs the arcade doesn't want to pay the amount of money for it. So they go to the arcade, or they go to the internet, which they're not supposed to go to because if they die in the internet, their code is erased and they're gone forever. Um, and they're trying to figure out a way to make money to buy the piece through eBay. Mm. And it kind of just goes from there. It runs uh, an hour 45, so a perfect length. It's so well-paced. Uh, it's just a, it's a knockout, non-Pixar Disney movie. Uh, and 
I think that if you, if you want to take your kids to see it, they're going to enjoy it. If you just want to go see it for the, for the humor and the little nostalgia for the nineties and the internet and the in jokes, uh, I'd say go see it too. Sarah Silverman and John C. Riley both just give it their all for voice acting. And it's, it's the best animated film of the year. I was working. So my brother took my boys to go see it. And that's why I thought afterwards, like, maybe I'll just go on my own. People are like, oh, I didn't ask kids. I'm like, oh, I took my kids, or I'll take my kids again if they liked it that much. But I, I would recommend because we saw a an afternoon showing of it right. the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Thing. Okay, yeah, it's not going to be that what, bad. School's, school's yeah. still in session. 345 now, kid, show. Yeah. Kids were still in there, but it wasn't that bad. They were invested. They weren't being loud. And even one kid made a pretty good joke after the uh, the the big um, Disney song, we'll call it. I'm not going to reveal too much about it, but the big Disney song that has a quite quite a heavy twist to it. Uh, one kid screamed out in the theater, "That was a good song!" And we just erupted in laughter because like, he—he's he, not wrong. It was a good song. Incredibles two, the favorite right now to an animated film. Do you think that Wrecker Ralph two is better than that film? Ooh, I think they're neck and neck. I think those are the two that you're going to be like that. Like if you're putting a betting line on Gold Derby right now, if I'm setting it there, yes. Incredibles two might be at like it is the heavy. It's the favorite right now, but not by a time. I would I would say they're like one in three and one in four chances to get it like they're that close wow all right record ralph ralph breaks the internet check it out now it's time for my man steve levy geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate hi so about the kitchen turns out when there's a grease fire you're not supposed to throw water on it <laughs> who would have known right anyways the fire department is here and it's totally cool can we call back when you get a chance the Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. All right, a real thrill to be joined by one of my favorites here at ESPN, the great Steve Levy. And he's not only a guy that I've always looked up to for years and admired his work, not just because he's a hockey guy, he'd rather be at the rink, he's more in skating clips, <laughs> but he's also a great storyteller and in many ways is my career, which is that he is a prominent, famous sportscaster, but somebody who has gone into movies. You go to IMDb, there's a prominent Steve Levy database of movies you have appeared in. Yeah. So I'm envious of you. Where's in my more camera? Ways than what? Are we on TV right now? We are on TV. It's Where's a, my one shot? Have you ever done a podcast before, by the way? This podcast you speak of, how long do we... So this is great. We can go three hours right now without commercial This is what I love about you. I know that you, you appreciate the podcast medium. You always feel hemmed and hawed on SportsCenter. Dan Stanzik, our producer, wanted to know, have I yeah. ever worked with Steve on SportsCenter? We did one SportsCenter together. I remember it fondly. Not a chance. Afterwards, no. I asked Steve, I said, um, you have any advice for me? And Steve goes, oh, professional anchor. Good job. And they go, actually, there's one thing. I did say (laughs) I'm terrified. Get out of the business. Oh, my God. Steve Levy's going to say, can I talk a little fast, whatever it is? And you said, no, no. Whenever they have those town hall meetings, you should always go. So it wasn't based on your your sports center. I thought for sure you were going to say, I thought your delivery was a little flimsy. Some of the jokes, you do some editing. Catchphrases a little old. That's all it was. Look, seriously, I always felt like you you want to be part of the community here. The community, you want this to be your company um, as well. And so I've always always taken that seriously. I I want to know what's going on with my company. Now I've been here a long time. Now you should too. You've been here 26 years. I think you always refer to yourself as a company guy. The best thing I've heard about a company guy, Jay Leno said. Because everyone's always kill him, right? Leno Letterman, Letterman's a Serbic. Right. Uh, Leno's a company guy. Leno goes, my feeling is, if you're taking the company's money, then you should be a company guy. You know, company guy seems to have a negative connotation to it, and right. I, I don't get it. I, I'm proud of my company. I'm proud right. of the place I work, and that's not just ESPN, but Disney. Right. I think Disney does the right thing by a lot of people. We got young kids. We did the you did the Hollywood uh, 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 Disneyland vacation, Disney World. Remember, you were yeah. tweeting and going, are you kidding? The discounts we get for my family? Seriously, I you know, it's, it's a big deal. I, I bring between 15 and 20 people <laughs> annually. And I mean, we have every lunch together and we, we go to our rides together every, you know, we don't just meet up at dinner time. Right. And it's, it's the best trip of the year. It's all my buddies and, yeah. um, and all their kids. And it's, it's the best time of the year. Yeah. My kids, the second we come back to Connecticut and land, yeah. when are we going back to Disney? So it's right. just, and we're trying to set it up this year and it's impossible to get a reservation. Well, we'll get to Disney in a second, but you are a noted actor. You're not just 26 years at ESPN. No. Again, you go there. First and foremost, Peter Farrelly is the director of a film called Green Room, which is getting yeah. a ton of great buzz right now. Yeah. And it's everywhere. People are talking about it just open in theaters, limited release. I want to read this quote to you, and then I want to get your um, just thoughts about the Farrelly's and Junks. I know you've known them for years. Yeah. But people are wondering, it's always been the Farrelly brothers. This time with Green Book, it's just Peter Farrelly. So Peter said this in an interview. 
The truth is my brother had a tragedy in his immediate family, a big one. Bobby's 20-year-old son died in 2012, and he had to step away. He needed time, and at that moment, I ran into the guys who told me the story. Green Book, I said, this is a home run. I love this story, and so I just jumped into it. But believe me, this movie would have been better if my brother were involved. He always makes things better. I miss working with him. For those who don't know, Fairly Brothers, something about Mary, Dumb and Dumber, many others. It's a big hit, yeah. You've known them for years. How do you know these guys? So um, it's all about relationships. Like in like in life, it was, uh, it was a gal I was dating for a long, long time, and uh, and she was an actress, and uh, they had thrown her a couple of bit pieces. <laughs> uh, she was an extra in something about Mary, Nice. and um, she introduced me to them, and I was like, hey, hey, have you ever new sportscaster ha ha you know and like bam the next week hey if you want to come by and do something and and things sort of went from there but they are so tied together um i'm pretty sure even hollywood types would not know their first names it was always the farrelly brothers yeah and to hear it come out now now peter will get this and and bobby's been dealing with his kind of thing so uh look i don't want to say i know them well they were very nice to me a long time ago I love that they are un-Hollywood. Yes. Or, or have, at least prior to this, maybe this is big-time Hollywood, but had been un-Hollywood. They are, you know, it was a niche, right? They were all about New England. They were, you know, Dunkin' Donuts and Providence. You know what I mean? <laughs> Proud Rhode Island guy. Really, right? It was just, you know, anytime they could put Cam Neely in a movie. Yeah. Um, what was the Matt Damon? And they're stuck together. Uh, oh, stuck on you. Yeah, stuck on you. So, <laughs> of course, movie. they're goalies, right? <laughs> the, the, the two brothers, they got to be goalies, right? And, right. Um, uh, Bobby actually was a goalie. Bobby oh. did play some uh, minor hockey, I guess, and was a goalie there and pretty good at it, too. Right. So, But they always had a hockey lean. Yes. There was a big New England uh, sense to them, and they were jeans and T-shirt guys. And again, so un-Hollywood. They were known for putting their buddies in the movies. Right. And uh, they were known for taking care of also uh, special needs. Yes, they had a time. lot of special needs kids in the movies. Big time. And uh, the one movie I'm in the most, way too many scenes... Uh, the Ringer is all about Special Olympics. Right. And I looked at the script, and I'm like, you know, ESPN is never going to approve this. Very politically incorrect. <laughs> I wonder, and ESPN approved. And, of course, the Farley brothers gave a huge piece of the proceeds donated to the Special Olympics. Right. And in the end, made the Special Olympics look great. But if you just watch the first 20 minutes, you're like, hey, 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 wait a second. Where are we going with this? So, And add in, that's the one of all the movies that I've done. People on Twitter still light me up with a line or two about that. But again, I was in like six scenes, like way too many. I am much better in smaller doses. Right. You know, one scene, get in, get out. Ha ha. See you later. You know, what was the experience like being on set? Because Tim Kirchin told me when he did the Hank Azaria show. Yeah. He goes, when I went to Brockmire, he goes, it's amazing. He goes, Amanda Pete was like struggling to remember some of the lines. They had to put yeah. like a big billboard yeah. and kind of look and cheat and you get the lines. So he goes, it's amazing. He goes, they can memorize pages on pages, which we couldn't do. Right. But to just ad lib the way you and I could, he right. goes, it's impossible. So the beauty of playing yourself in these movies is you can't really screw it up because it's yourself. You would mess it up anyway, right? right. So they really gave me uh, free reign um, in all the, all the cameos I've had. They said, hey, you know, how would you say this? Right. And in some place, I've actually turned shots around. I said, you know, we wouldn't really be here. It would be over the shoulder this way. <laughs> Leaves turning into Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah. <laughs> directing over here. But to their credit, they wanted it as authentic as possible. Right. So we know what would, you know, ESPN really would do. Right. Uh, so that was great. It There is a lot of pressure, okay? You say like Amanda Pete, for example. Right. I've been lucky to so in the movies that I've been in, I've I've actually had scenes with some of the bigger guys. So Jimmy Fallon, yeah, the Fever one pitch. big scene in Fever Pitch. <laughs> you know, my whole uh, philosophy is: listen, I don't want to make them stay any longer than they have to. Right? I know in my experience, we're going to do these scenes twenty five times, no matter what. Right? If everything's perfect, we're still doing it twenty five times. Mm-hmm. But I need to be perfect myself because I don't want to be the reason they stop down. Right? Oh, yeah. Imagine I blow Jimmy Fallon's best take. <laughs> Right? I mean, you, hey, Dwayne Johnson, sorry, you got to do that again because Levy can't say his name. You know? So that is the pressure, and that's where the perspiration, as you know, yes. will come from. And uh, I was pretty lucky to get it right. Yeah. So being on set, very cool. Other million dollar arm you did as well, John Hamm movie, which, by the way, yes. they screened it here in Harvard, and you're introducing it because it's a Disney movie. Right, you right, were right. In it as well. Yeah. And afterwards, you turn to me and go, what'd you think? And I go, well. <laughs> The only honest opinion leaves you were great. Jason Stark's in the movie. You're great. I go, right. a little long. Right. Love interest. Eh. But uh, but a good story. And I do like John Hamm. Gordon Gray, Mark Chiardi, uh, they were like brothers, like the Farrelly brothers in terms of how close they were, Mayhem right. Productions. And so between the Farrellys and those guys, those are the only movies I've ever been in. People are like, how do you get these parts? I'm like, well, it's not because I'm a good actor. I became buddies with the guys who make the movie, and they can right. put pretty much whoever they want 
right. uh, in the movie. It is amazing to go on location and see how big the productions are uh, in that million dollar arm. Right. We shot in a in a parking lot of a strip mall. Right. Because That's where the, the scouts were. Yeah. It was the audition. Right. I mean, so that was the thing. And, and of course, you're never where you're really supposed to be. So they bring in palm trees to make it look like, you know, it's Arizona or wherever it was supposed to be. And, you know, in, uh, in Fever Pitch, I know we're bouncing around. No, no, go on. Excuse me. In Fever Pitch, they were at Red Sox Spring Training, yeah. which we filmed in Toronto, of course. Cause, you of course. Know, a city you love, by the way. Steve Lee, born in New York, went to me and yes. said to me, Toronto's the best. It's like New York without the asshole. Yeah. I did not say that. <laughs> That's a direct quote. I thought it was at the accent. No? <laughs> There's the accent. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so you can swear on a podcast? Yeah, we, we, we you can pretty much you <laughs> Now you're going to change your stories now. Make it a little more bold. Um, so anyway, so, the, so it's neat to see the productions. You know, in game plan, we did this thing with, with Dwayne Johnson. So he's coming off the field after the championship. And again, <laughs> we're taping this 25 times. They have to move a hundred people each time. Right. So it's the team coming off the field. They have to spray down everybody to pretend they're sweating, you know, after the big game. And I cannot believe how long each take takes. Brutal. And it's just, and it's just, it, you know what it's like? Yeah. It's like this is Sports Center, right? We film these commercials. Forever. Yeah. We film all day. We do eight hours for a 30 second spot or a 15 Brutal. second spot. And as you're sitting, you can't believe it takes so long. But then when you're on your couch and you're watching, hey, Pretty funny, but it's pretty good. I don't know if you're wired like me. I could, I love movies as do you, yeah. but I could never do that. I'm just not built to do that. I love live TV. You know, once if you screw it up, that's fine. Right, it's off to Pluto. Live TV, yep. Right, the the feeling of over and over. I just couldn't do anything. Imagine doing it take more than three times, more than four times. If you're just doing a lead, and you go, I'm not doing right. this again. Right, because it's, it's not a closed show. Let's go. It's yeah, not clever. Right. the same joke every right. time. I'm gonna hate this. Right. Look, you do it because of the residual checks. The other day, <laughs> I got a check for forty three cents, and I'm not kidding. And the beauty of it, it is, it's really found money, Adnan, because you never know when it's going to come. Right. But really, it's 43 cents. Like, you put this in the mail with a stamp on it, that's almost a dollar, right? I mean, what are we doing? Hockey guy. Yeah. Mystery Alaska, you got a story yeah. for me there, Russell Crowe. So that was the first one. That was uh, my road to stardom. <laughs> my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, I'm sure, is coming first from that. Uh Yeah. The, the late, great John Saunders, yes. who we love and miss every single day. Yeah. He uh, constantly reminded me that I stole that part from him. <laughs> I don't know. John must have been on assignment. He couldn't get to the studio, couldn't right. get to Bristol. Right. Of all the movies we've done, I think that was the only one I didn't get to go on location. Right. We filmed it in the studio. Right. And, like, nobody even came. Like, nobody even showed up from the movie. They sent us an email, a piece of paper. <laughs> hey, say these lines, you know, and do it from six different camera angles. Right. And Melrose and I just did the best story from that. Did I tell you the story from no. this one? If you if you watch the movie and you listen, it's it it remained in the movie. It wasn't supposed to remain in. So the story I I give some line and it's supposed to trail off, and they're like, just keep talking. We'll get out way before then. Yeah. And they don't get out. It's uh it's the boys in mystery watching in the locker room on TV. We're ripping the event. Melrose, it's a total joke. And and then I go on to say, you know, another NHL news, Wayne Gretzky was named Player of the Month. He had 4,000 points in, <laughs> you know, in March. And that's in the movie. Oh, no. If you put the volume up, you know, I thought they were going to be out after Wayne Gretzky, right. Player of the Month or something right. like that. So much for fixing and post. Right. <laughs> Green screen or something, yeah. Lastly, we... What do you mean, lastly? I got all day. Do you have more stories from here? The fact, the fact you came in to do this on your day off, you just want to do stories. Is there a gift certificate or something? We can, we, can, we can get you something. I got a gift bag here for it, just like the stars always get. Here's a gift bag. Let's do this every day. I, listen, anytime you want to come back. <laughs> Seriously, have you ever either been on a podcast before or listened to a podcast before? I'm going to say 0 for 2 on both. No, I think I've been in, been on one other and listened to one other. <laughs> what was the one you listened to? It's a great question. It was so memorable. <laughs> I have no idea. Is uh, McShay have a podcast? McShay has a podcast. I think I might have listened to his then. You know, he's my guy on Saturdays. Um, You're my no. guy on Saturdays, too. You're on the show more than we are, by the way. <laughs> it's really not about our game. It's about Adnan's cut-ins, and then we come in on occasion to say touchdown. I had a great, Clemson. I had a great line to you, and uh, then you go, Adnan, yeah. I'm having trouble hearing. I'm sure it was a very witty line. Mix so, minus, yeah, <laughs> was an issue. The next time I played it straight, and you buried me, you go, Adnan, expecting a lot more there. Pretty, pretty flat in that line there. Are you kidding? <laughs> so the next time I went right back at you guys. This is what I live for, the cut-ins with you guys. Most of the time I can't hear a word you're saying. 80,000 people screaming at Clemson. I got Josh Hoff, my producer, in one ear. Right. Greasy's drawing on the screen, right. tapping me. Is Read the card. Just read the card, you know, the promo card, and yeah. so most of the time I miss what you say. I, I always yeah. give love to, to you, to Lee Fitting, and he always has the same response. Like, hey, Lee, he's great, man. Yeah. He's nice, he's great. Pause, loose at times. Yeah. I go, you know why? I know the guy who's having a good time in the booth. Right. He's treating this like it's brain surgery. So is everybody else tight? 
then I'll be the loose guy. All right? <laughs> is every, maybe everybody else is too so, tight. So Tess is high energy. Adam Amin is yelling. I'm not naming names. Maybe everybody else is too tight. I'm okay being the loose guy. <laughs> Leave you lounge. Leave you lounge loose. Guy. Little League coaches. We got to coach yeah. together. Your yeah, boys, did. Carson and Stone yeah. and my son, Adine. The best memory was you're on the road. You're covering the cup final. Hey, do me a favor. It's Harper's birthday, your daughter. Right. You know, can you just take Carson and Stone out afterwards? A little ice cream, whatever you got to do. Right. And three of them would be great. So on the way out, by the way, Stone, his son is like Keith Hernandez. First baseman, got the glasses, lefty. He just wants to play the You're whole right. time. I never put that together. He's You're the right. best. And, and so when practice is over, Carson and Adina are the same. Hey, let's go. Let's get out of here. We right. play the park. Stone's like, no, I want to do more. Right. You got to put that kid in football. He's like, I want two a days. Let's go. Yep. Gonna, we're going, Stone. I said, where do you guys want to go for ice cream? We're either going to go to Sweet Frog or Ben and Jerry's. Good. So Stone goes, we got to go Sweet Frog. <laughs> I ask, it's more demonstrative. I ask Carson and Nadine, they both want Ben and Jerry's. Right. So I tell Stone, I go, all right. No, sorry, Stone, the way. Stone wants Ben and Jerry's. They want Sweet Frog. I go, Stone, for you, I'm going to go to Ben and Jerry's. It's right up the road, all right? I'm going to tell you that after it's a special exception. We don't go, he gets the ice cream he wants. We go to Sweet Frog, Carson and Nadine. You are pil- took them to two separate. Carson and Nadine. I did are, not know this, brother. Carson and Nadine are piling on, right? You get gummy worms, you get chocolate. You're stuff. a good man. Stone's furious now. He goes, are you kidding? I go, what? He goes, look at all these toppings these guys are getting. I go, <laughs> Stone, that was the that was the right move. Okay, yeah. you said you want to go to Ben right. and Jerry's just a scoop of ice cream. He, he goes, "Oh man, you should have told me." Right. He if com- I had known, no, he committed, he committed, <laughs> and Levy men are men of our word. We make a deal, we shake hands, and did Stone handle that well? Afterwards, I maybe not it was really, not no. great, but the best part was the last practice. Which you, again, you were busy with the cup file. I looked at Carson. I said, "Buddy, did you have fun?" Because right. he's just like my son Adin. He doesn't want to be out there, but he's right. doing, he's doing right. it for Dad, which right. is more sweeter. Because right. you can tell they don't want to do it. And I said, Carson, he goes, "You know what?" I'm going to tell my dad I'm done. I go, <laughs> you're five years old. It's the first year of the team. I go, no, I'm done. I go, you're hanging up the cleats at five. He's hanging them up. But he loves football. Right. And so he was into the touch football thing. Both boys were really into touch football. Right. Uh, Carson came back into the baseball mix. He picked up an award, okay, in the division for speed. Had nothing to do with baseball. Right. We ran the bases. Everybody ran the bases. Right. And honestly, it was the first time I knew my son was fast. Like, how do you know if your kid at age five is fast? Right. Who's he beating in a race? And they did it in baseball, and they go from home plate around, all you know, crossover, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and then back to home plate. And he's laughing the whole time. <laughs> he takes the widest turn around first base as if he's admiring it going over the green monster and going to have to hustle into a double, right? Right. And he winds up finishing third in his division. Like, if he would have been, you know, taking it a little more seriously, he could have won. But anyway, so he was really proud of that little trophy. Yeah. And so I think that, that'll keep him going for one more season. Pinch runner, here we go. <laughs> Well, the best was we, our team was the Reds. So my eldest son Yusuf, yeah. who's a baseball nut, yeah, he goes, "Oh, these kids could be like Johnny Bench." And Leaves goes, "What are you teaching this kid?" He goes, "Johnny Bench." How would you know, John? Ten years old, know, baseball teach, history. Teaching him the right thing. That's what you're teaching him. And uh, um, you're a good man. I did not know about the double ice cream place. <laughs> I only know you took them out to one ice cream. You're a good guy. He's a blast, man. I'd like to say I would have done that for your kid. I might not have. I might have just gone no. to the place that Dean wanted to well, go. The, well, it was funny because I was actually coaching Yusuf's team as well. So I was gone one time and. My wife even texts me. She goes, Levy's hilarious. I go, what happened? She goes, you know, Dean gets a little moody. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm his dad. Yeah. She goes, but he wasn't listening. <laughs> and she goes, his sister's saying, no, no, no. And she goes, Leaves comes over and he's like, yeah, I don't know what's up with the Dean today. And she goes, hey, what? He's like, today? He's like, that every day. Unless his dad's there. His dad's there. He's okay. Well, you know, I'm like, I don't want anybody else touching my kid. Right. So I don't want to touch anybody. And you and I are close. I mean, yeah. you could, you want to touch sure. my, you want to throw my kids around. That's fine. <laughs> But you're not there like one time. You miss like one thing. A yeah. dean is sitting down We're on first base. Sulking, yeah. No, I mean sitting down <laughs> on the base. His backside is on first base. He's not even facing the, the game is going on. And so I'm looking over at your wife, like, hey, you want me to handle this? I'm trying to be a good guy. And then finally, enough, I just lifted him up myself. Here right. you go. Propped him up. So now he's standing at least on first base. So. Uh, I did talk to Patrick Sharkey, though. He goes, we got to get the band back yes. together again. I said, absolutely. It's We're committed move. for life now. Favorite movie all time. Uh, did I have to be in it or okay? <laughs> right. so, well, the one that you're not in. Okay, it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the answer. To this. I know the answer, and eh, people, are, I loved about last night. I didn't tell you. Well, I didn't yes. know that. and that comes out Belushi. of the blue. Yeah, I I just thought the Rob Lowe Jim Belushi combo was so yeah. good. At that point, Demi Moore was yeah, sure. everything. 1986. Yeah, I think Mamet might have wrote the script actually. And I I still quote some of the lines from that. You know. Don't ever lose your sense of humor. <laughs> and it just, I mean, he's in the Cubs jersey, right. the softball scenes, the whole, I just thought it was a great movie. Relationships. Yeah. Getting together, hot and heavy, breaking up, <laughs> then trying to get back involved. I and mean, I sort of lived that life. It's not going so good now. But <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> listen, happy father. You're living the life right now. So is this going to get edited at all? No, the, gonna the, play whole the whole thing. The whole thing. Every, no, uh, the, uh, all, 
Last, last one. What about the every origin? part's been great. I don't think there's a place to get out. What about the origin of the catchphrase? If it's fair, it's gone. Right, and then it's a home run to dead center. Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really just the mocking of traditional radio sportscasters. You know that kind of thing, right. which Kenny Maine does really on a nightly basis. Yeah, without quite, I mean, he is satirizing what a sportscaster should be right. every night. In fact, we're sitting next to him, and he's in essence making fun of us to our faces <laughs> every sentence that comes out of his mouth. Right. Uh, I only do it one time. You know. And I, if it's fair, it's gone. Last point. Yeah. I always admired your humility. I told you one time, I said, Leaves, you're one of the best anchors here, and you always have been. And you said, that, and I appreciate it, but honestly, I'm not. You go, I always view myself as a second banana. I said, what do you mean? You go, I'm the guy with Stu. I'm the guy with Van Pelt. I'm the guy with Keith. And I said, that's not true. It's just as critical to be the straight man. You go, I appreciate you saying that, but I've never yeah. viewed myself that way. And I'm telling you, man, you're one of the upper echelon guys here. I hope you're Very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. The great Steve Levy. Follow him on, on Twitter at yeah. Steve Levy. It's the only place I am. <laughs> but your Twitter, I feel like is you are you on Instagram yet? Because I feel no. like that's the next level for you. What is the big deal? That's pictures, Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter started to go down. You're, I tweet pictures though. So why, what is different? Twitter's good just for writing. Instagram's the way it's at. That's the pictures you do. Stories. You're on the road so much. You right. and the Che, Gracie, you and the kids are out. Right. Hey, Harper made a recital. That kind of stuff. I like put my kids stuff out there. That much. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't like the crazy people out there. <laughs> That's it. You are protective of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so you think I, I'm missing out on an IG? I think I got an IG. Yeah. What would my handle be for that? Bag of leaves. Oh, you don't think that's taken? <laughs> I don't think so. Wait, last one. Because we've, yeah. Ober- we've had Oberman on the podcast. You know I love Keith. Okay. Give me a Keith story. Whatever story you got. And not the bulging <laughs> disc story. Well, I mean, that, that's the one. He's the one who's sitting next to me, you know. So I'll, I'll never forget that. He is, he is the genius of geniuses. He is, you know, one of the smartest guys on the planet. Yeah. You know, when, you, when I came here, it was all about Keith and Dan. Right. And you tried to figure out, okay, which lane are you going to go into, Right. Can you get close to either one? But probably not. But so I went towards Dan because right. at least I had a shot. I had no chance of being Keith, and quite frankly, I couldn't be Dan either. But at least that was my Keith had the show written in the first half hour. Right. You ever get Mike McQuaid, who was their producer, talking Keith about, about it. stories? I mean, and one of the great one finger typers of all time. Yes, Ko just hammers it out. And, but it's every story. It's throwaway lead-ins are so well written and pronounced and produced and his pieces are so much better that's the hard part of sitting next to him by the way yeah you know because you're sitting next to him on the show everything you do in comparison looks a little less a little weaker right than right. what the guy sitting next to you has done but but there's an element to you can't out keith keith you can't do what ko's doing so you just do no. you and i'll tell you what you know he, he's got a rep and a, a rap if you will sure. and uh he's always been great to me two guys i'll give you Mike Francesa, yeah, and Keith Oldman, okay, yeah, guys who have had reputations in the industry for being, let's say, hard on others, hard yes. on people. Yeah, two guys have been great to me. You'll ne- both of them. You'll never hear me say one bad word about Francesa or Ko. Um, you know, Francesa back in the day when, when I was the you fan started in New the York, fan, yeah, it was always championing my my TV work. And again, he was tough on a lot of people, made a lot of people's lives miserable, and apparently to this day still does. <laughs> apparently, cannot confirm. But he was he was always great to me. And KO, too, from the second I walked in the building, yeah. could not have been kinder, warmer, offering advice. Still sent me a text. You know, still tell me an occasional text right. after I do a show. You you filled in for him, right? You hosted it. I mean, that, that's pressure when you filled on on his TV show. And it was the same thing. You can't do what Keith does. But it's almost, it comes into you a little bit. Because I've watched him for so many years. Yeah. I admire so much yeah. the, the run-on sentences, the delivery, yes. the language yes. is so sophisticated. Yep. It kind of gets into you a little bit. And you yes. go, you can't mimic him. You just be you. But it's hard not to because it's it's um, it's a big seat to sit in. Wouldn't want to debate him on on, on any issue, Adnan. On any issue, I once said one of the great Hall of Fame debates would have been because I worked at Kurt Schilling a lot. If yeah. you could get Schilling and Oberman together, oh, that would be something. Now that's pay per view. Forget about that Tiger Phil thing. <laughs> no, no punches pulled. The great Steve Levy. Thanks, Levy. All right, see you, pal. A Hollywood career spanning decades, and the tales of Tinseltown are told here. Inside the Lion's Den with Ben Lyons. So this is Paul Lieberstein, and uh, I recently loved the movie Brad Status. It just hit me just at the perfect time. Um, it's a movie with Ben Stiller, and um, it's about uh, um, this guy taking his son around on a college tour and just feeling, like, insecure. You know, uh, he wasn't good enough to get into these schools that, you know, that he's taking his son on a tour of and, uh, and he meets some old friends and he's just not as successful as them. But his life is fine, you know, and it's just, it's just that feeling of like, uh, uh you know, 
uh, my life is it's not quite good enough. And then it's kind of helped a lot by his relationship with his son at the end. Um, and definitely like the theme of the movie is, you know, you, you don't need to kind of like want like that. You know, the, the envy doesn't serve any purpose. But I left the movie, one, appreciating that, but two, just being like so envious. And I wish I had made the movie. <laughs> it's like, God, why can't I make a movie this guy? He's just an average man with an average, average life. life. And his reviews dictate that. Oh, right up my alley. First and foremost. Playing to my strength. Dan Stanzik is. I thought it was a little, little much. Every, every man. He may be the every man, but Jesse Palmer, who is the best looking guy at the company and a fellow Canadian, was sitting at Dan Stanzik's desk yesterday, just pouring over notes at the college football show. So listen, Dan may be the every man, but he's tight with Jesse Palmer. Really got to update that open. Really but, resent that. Before we get into every man this week, I want to point out that Shelton M. Birch is sliding into my DMs, and he said, question for you, I was listening to Cinephile, great podcast, was searching to see if you've reviewed one of my favorites, Interstellar. Do you have a link, or what are your thoughts on it? No pressure, I'm just curious what someone who actually knows movies thinks about it, because I barely know enough of them to tell you the difference between Michael Caine and Michael Scott. Sorry to bother you, having to take care. So anyways, my point is, if you'd like to do an Interstellar every man at some point, I know you like that movie. It's long. It'd be a long rewatch. I do like it. Not as much as our guy Saruti, but I do like Sar- it. Saruti adores it. He loves it. But if you ever want to do that one, that, that's in play. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. When Chekhov saw the long winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. This seems a little more highbrow than every man. When you're starting with Anton Chekhov. Oh, no. Okay. Yet we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of Punxsutawney... And basking oh, in the yeah, day. I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. This is the best one you've ever done. Groundhog. I haven't even done it yet. That's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog it's a great Day. Movie. Great a 1993 movie. romantic comedy written by Danny Rubin, directed by Harold Ramis, and starring Bill Murray and the sneaky hot Andy McDowell. <laughs> Murray plays Phil Connors, a pompous, arrogant, Pittsburgh-based weatherman sent to Punxsutawney to cover the Groundhog Day festivities. Phil wants to get back to Pittsburgh as soon as possible and makes no secret about it to his newly hired producer Rita, played by McDowell, and his cameraman Larry. But a sudden snowstorm that Phil predicted would miss them keeps them in town for the night. When Phil wakes up in the morning, it's as if the previous day never happened. He hears the same portion of I Got You Babe by Sonny and Cher on the radio. He's asked the same questions by a woman at the bed and breakfast where he stayed. He sees the same acquaintance from high school. Ned Ryerson. Yes. While walking Ned to Gobbler's Ryerson to do his Groundhog Day report. Am I right? Or am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> and the same snowstorm keeps him in town again and again and again. Phil keeps reliving the same day over and over. And no matter what he does, he wakes up at 6 a.m. in the same bed and breakfast. And it's still February 2nd. So Phil starts to act with no regard for the future. He drives a car on train tracks. He gets arrested. He eats a table full of sweets. After living the same day over and over, he starts to learn where and when things are going to happen and what people are going to do. So he robs a trunk, leaving a bank, memorizes an episode of Jeopardy, man after my own heart, and then decides to start wooing his producer, Rita. Every day, he makes incremental progress by remembering things about her. She likes French poetry and how she'll answer particular questions. She always toasts to world peace. But each time he wakes up, he has to start from scratch. He gets close, but can't quite seal the deal. His persistence quickly wavers, and his pursuit gets sloppy. It feels like a failed mission, and Phil just wants to escape his cosmic circumstances. However, no matter what he tries, this is Adnan's favorite part of the movie, stealing the groundhog and driving off a cliff, walking in front of a bus, jumping from a rooftop, and electrocution, he keeps waking up at 6 a.m. in the bed and breakfast on February 2nd. I always tell you, the killing montage is fantastic. (laughs) With death not even an option, (laughs) Phil again changes course. He attempts to be productive. He takes piano lessons. He learns how to sculpt ice with a chainsaw. And he takes an interest in both the positives and plights of the people of Punxsutawney. Groundhog Day, which I'm giving four stars, is filled with humor. At one point, Phil says, I'm a god. I'm not the god. Great. It was in all the trailer's best line. (laughs) And it is filled with heart. In my humble opinion, it is Murray at his apex. Funny, charming, and sweet. And I could watch this film over and over (laughs) again. Two more quick notes on Groundhog Day. First, yeah. the screenplay was turned into a musical, opened on Broadway in the spring of 2017. Wow. Bill Murray attended a performance on August 8th with his brother, and then, of course, he attended the show again on August 9th. 
Second, and I believe I've said this on this podcast before, but I will say it again. Much in the way that A Christmas Story airs for 24 hours straight on TNT and TBS beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern on Christmas Eve, I think a cable channel should air Groundhog Day on repeat every February 2nd. Now, Stars Encore did do this earlier this year, but we need a cable channel to step it up. My guy came in hot. You know, that was so good. We're going to lead the podcast with that. Go ahead. Give it all my crap. The favorite, uh, no, no, no. We're leading with a Groundhog Day review. Every man's going to lead out the podcast. <laughs> it's so great, man. You know, Michelle Gondry such a great director. Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. He's got the show, The Jim Carrey Show, Kidding, which I don't care for. Lions asked him, like, give me your favorite movie. He was like, Groundhog Day. <laughs> People love the movie, man. and It's, it's it, so good. And it's not like, you know, sometimes comedies they don't get enough credit compared to dramas and such, which is ridiculous. Comedies are hard and they're difficult to do. But Groundhog Day hits that match between critics like it, audiences love it, rewatchable, funny, charming, romantic, sweet, well-acted, like lean. It never feels it's going long. Andy McDowell, I agree. I think she's a tra- green card. Was Gerard Depardieu, I thought she was pretty. Although I remember a review. I don't remember the critic. He said every time she moves in, I think it was Gerard Depardieu. I don't think she kisses Bill Murray in the movie. Or she does. She does. Movie. Okay, but he said when she goes in to kiss him, I just feel like her overbite is just going to overwhelm it. The teeth are a little much. She's also great. I think she parlayed Groundhog Day. I could have the order wrong. I think she parlayed Groundhog Day into Four Weddings and a Funeral with Hugh Grant, which she's also excellent in. Yeah, 93 was Four Weddings and a Funeral. I think Groundhog Day was 93. Four Weddings and a Funeral was 94. At least that's when... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. right. The years get a little confusing. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. It was That was definitely the sweet spot of Andy McDowell. Very well done. Groundhog Day. All right, almost time to close up shop here. But as I mentioned, I always appreciate the ratings and reviews on iTunes. So Hot Lunch Man posted October 16th. You can read his review there. Uh, but thanks, everybody. Grass Killer, always enjoy this podcast more and more. Keep cranking them out. Uh, Bayou Bonds, which sounds like Benzani under a pseudonym, makes my commute enjoyable. Adnan is honest, unpretentious, and funny. Got a nice one here from uh, Bob and Surf, November 20th, 2018. It may be the only review, but this review should keep this podcast from fizzling. Adnan and Dan are brilliant. Adnan has the ability to critique a film without needing someone to interject to keep things interesting. Dan couldn't be more opposite than Adnan, which adds a different point of view and variety to the show. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, you're Canadian. I'm American. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if we're that dissimilar. but I'm smart. You're not. <laughs> now we found it. Keep the good shows available. I loved Max's review of this podcast. I'm mimicking 100%. No fluff, just clear to the point. Critical analysis. I'm a huge fan. Avid listener. You guys deserve it. P.S. Lines Den. He gives like four leafs, but he put like a green leaf. But anyways, a huge fan. Appreciate it. So I think it's pretty good. You know, got some good ones here. This is one from The Bad Guy. I love this podcast. I've listened to everyone as soon as it drops. I love Adnan and Dan. This is for movie lovers made by movie lovers. Truly entertaining, funny, insightful. Mr. Bond, welcome to Tangier. This is from Misery's Company, November 20th. This is a really well-written one. Echoing down the dimly lit aisles of runtimes, we've been scanning the showtimes for a title that enables us to grow in the dark while being rooted in cushioned seats. Adnan, Dan, and Rick have torn our tickets, bagged our popcorn, and led us to where we can cast our own scripts on the silver screens of our souls. Thank you for a great podcast. But of course, if to end on a negative note, the headline says Time Limit for Passmore. It's from Cody Pillen, November 19th. I've been an avid listener since the first episode. I'm always excited when a new pod pops up in my library. He sounds like a nice guy. He is a nice guy. And I think there is some way for him to contribute to the show, but Passmore's movie reviews have got to go. It's hard to make a movie review confusing, but Rick seems to do just that every time with those long-winded rambles. I mean, taking shots here, Ricky. I mean, Rick, what do we do here? What's the plan? Should we, <laughs> should we get a clock on you? What do you think? I just got to write them out. If I write them, they're concise and they're done. If I ramble, I'm going point. over. It's a good point. If it's written, you're good to go. Speaking of writing, I'm requisitioning Claire Atkins, my buddy, USC film major, in a desperate attempt to get both younger and more female and I don't want to watch this Julia Roberts movie. It's called Ben is Back. So um, you're not supposed to loan screen her. So she's going to come over to my house. We're going to watch Ben is Back together. And then she's going to do a review for us. So guest review from the great Claire Atkins coming up. Ben is Back, Julia Roberts' new movie. And I don't know how, but Dan got a hold of First Reformed. So I cannot wait. Every man do what you want. But I, I want you to give a review of First Reformed on the next podcast. And if you use the word underwhelming, I'm going to be very upset. Claire loved it. I gave it to her. She goes, man, what a performance. I go, Paul Schrader. She goes, yeah, oh, Schrader, great. We'll see. We'll see what Dan thinks. And on the next podcast, um, what else will I be reviewing? Coen Brothers' new movie. That's on Netflix, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I'll talk about that. And I just got The Front Runner, Gary Hart, your boy. Although, mixed reviews. I'm, I'm upset right now. I don't know what, not getting buzzed right now. Apparently, they say Hugh Jackman's hair is the best part of the movie. If that's true, we're in trouble. 
Until then, thanks to Steve Levy, the entire crew, Rick Passport, Dan Stanzik, I'm Adnan Burke. I'll see you at the movies. Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Burke Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.